0: Hello everybody, everybody doing okay? I've got 6.33, so I gave you all three minutes of free time, but I'm glad glad you are here and uh, looking forward to this opportunity to look to God's Word together tonight. Um, One announcement I do want to make is I want to remind everybody, now this shouldn't be too much trouble, and we're all... I believe, adults in here can handle things like this. But this coming Sunday, y'all know what happens with the time, don't you? Okay? It springs forward. Okay, okay, y'all see how that works. Now, we're excited about that because that gives us more time in the evenings, and we can, you know, have a little bit more time for afternoon walks and stuff like that. But on Sunday, it springs forward, and we're all, we're all mature enough to be able to handle that when it comes to coming to church on Sunday morning, aren't we? Yeah. Everybody can handle that. Okay, good, good. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, I I only use my phone for time, so it changes for me. It's like the Lord knew what I needed and uh, and gave it to me. And so uh, we'll see y'all this Sunday morning at the right time. And we're excited. We're excited about it. I love when the time changes. And three sermons. That's right. <laughs> preach again. We'll preach again about noon for those of y'all that couldn't come. Um, good deal. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin tonight. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to be together, and I, I'm, I'm thankful for every person here. Uh, what, a, what a glorious privilege it is, Father, to be able to um, gather in this place this evening and have so many come out to, to spend time with one another, to spend time Uh, in your word and we thank you for your word and so God we just pray that you would uh, bless our time and that we would uh, that we would rejoice together in your goodness and kindness and who you are father and that we would recognize now what it means for us and we pray all of these things in Christ's name amen if you have your Bibles we're gonna make it easy tonight just turn to the book of Genesis and we're gonna do chapter 1 and we're going to do verse 1. And so you can see how we're, we're working our way through this quickly. Uh, but chapter 1, verse 1 tonight, and um, we'll look at that. We'll look at this together. When it comes to the book of Genesis, and, and as I said last week, as we were, we were walking kind of through an overview of Scripture, this, this is one book with one story, one subject uh, one book, one subject with one author, right? And so we're, we're looking at this together. And like any other book that may be written or anything that we read, uh, some of the most important chapters are what comes up front. And Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis 11 really set the stage for all the rest of Scripture. If we think, as I said last week, if you think of how the timeline of Scripture lays out, Then you have creation, which is Genesis 1 and 2. You have the fall, which is Genesis 3. And then you have redemption, which really goes from Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation 20, if you will. And then finally you have consummation, Revelation 21. So the vast majority of God's word is made up of how God is going to redeem the mess that was created in the first part of Genesis. Genesis comes along, and that's what you have. At the end of really Genesis chapter 11, you're left with a lot of questions. How is God going to do what he promised he would do? How is he going to redeem this mess? Because everybody's spread out, speaking different languages all over the world. How is he going to do it? And then he makes the promises, and he just unfolds that all throughout Scripture, all throughout his word. And so when we come in order for us to understand who God is and what he's done for us and understand the word itself, then you really have to dig in deep here in the first couple chapters of Genesis. And really, uh, as I say tonight, you really have to kind of dig in deep a little bit to this first verse. This first verse. As one preacher I heard said, once you believe the first verse of the Bible, all the rest of them are easy to believe. Once you believe this first verse... Everything else, the fact that you believe in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe that, then you don't have a problem with a worldwide catastrophic flood in Genesis 6. If you believe that, then you don't have a problem with a God who intervenes throughout history miraculously, supernaturally, over and over and over again. If you believe Genesis one one, then you don't have a problem. You don't have a problem with a God who can walk on water and who can heal the sick and cause the lame to leap and bring the dead back to life, as we as believers are testimony of. If you believe this verse, Genesis one one, then the rest of Scripture makes sense. The rest of Scripture falls into place. And so we want to look at this verse tonight. We want to see what it teaches us about God. Just a few things. We're not going to try to be exhausted. We've got a whole Bible to work through. We want to see what it teaches us about God. And then we kind of want to see what that means for us then. So three things it teaches us about God, three things that it means for us that's important as we start this process of walking through the Scriptures. So Genesis 1-1 Let me read it. We'll be here for a while on this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a presupposition here that takes place, and that is God himself, right? He doesn't explain. doesn't go into anything. He just simply says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So what does this teach us about God? First, we need to learn here that God is eternal, God is eternal. And so in the beginning, God was there. In the beginning, God was there. In this way, we recognize that that God has always been. God has no beginning and he has no end. If you want to just uh, flip through your Bible with me for a little bit, uh, I learned in seminary a fancy trick where you can leave your finger right here and that will hold your place. Did you all see how that works? And then, and then you can flip back to where you're going and then you still have your place there. So that's, I just taught you all that. And uh, I, I spent a lot of money to learn that. And then, um, but Psalm 90. Psalm 90. The psalmist says this. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before the mountains were brought forth, before the world was ever formed, you are God. Or Job, if you could flip back to Job. In fact, you don't even have to save your spot in Psalm. You can just leave it and go to Job. Let's help us get uh, familiar with some places in our Bible we might not always go. But in Job chapter 36... Job, chapter 36, verse 26. Behold, God is great, and we know Him not. The number of His years is unsearchable. In other words, Job is saying here in chapter 36, verse 26, he's saying that God's years are unsearchable. You can't even figure out how old He is. In fact, in Daniel, whenever it refers to To the Lord God on the throne, it calls him what? The ancient of days. And so there's a sense in which we know as the scripture teaches us, the scripture teaches us God has always been. That means he is timeless. He's eternal and he's timeless. It's important for us to remember that God is not constrained by time. God is not constrained by time. That's really important for us. Whenever we consider what we ask of God, what we want from God, when we, when we pray. And so how do we often put this? We put this in the same way that Peter puts it, right? We put it in the same way that Peter puts it when he says, like, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day to you. God is not constrained by our sense of time because he is outside of time. He is outside of time. And when God sees all of human history, he sees the beginning and the end at the same time. Now, I know this is hard for us to think about, but, but we have to understand uh, what, what we're saying. God is outside of that space-time continuum that all of us are in, and he sees all of time as one time. If you, were, if you had like a parade or something, and you had the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade, and just imagine you're hovering over the top of it, seeing the beginning and the end, the middle, each and every part, at the same way, at the same time, that's how God sees this. That's how God sees this. And so God is timeless. He sees all time equally vividly. He's outside of time. So the creator God is able to step into time at any time he wants to. He can act in time anytime he wants to because he's outside of it. And so that's what we see when we see the supernatural acts of God. But even, even in verse 1, we also get a hint that's difficult for us to pick up in English, but not at all in the Hebrew that it was first written in. Because here in verse 1 it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God here is the word Elohim. That word is plural. That word is plural, Elohim. The em on the end of it makes it plural. And so here Elohim is plural, but the word for created is Barah, which is singular. And so in Hebrew, what happens is when you have a, a plural noun and then a verb that matches it, that verb has to match it in such a way as to testify to it. So you know that verb goes with that noun, right? It's different in English a little bit. So the way you know a verb goes with a noun is because they match in their, in their uh, punctuation, whatever you want to call it. That was my English coming out, y'all. There we go. They match in their tense. They match in those things. But here... Elohim is plural. Barah is singular, showing that Elohim, the plural God, is one. Already giving us a hint, even in verse 1, of the Trinity, that in the beginning God existed even. We'll find this out. Remember how we talked about the scriptures lay everything out in such a way as to progressively teach us these things. And so we'll find this out completely in the New Testament, you know. We'll see it here in Genesis 1. You're going to see God, uh, the Father, who is over all things. The Son is the Word, as John 1 tells us in creation, and the Spirit is the one acting. You see this here, but you can already get a glimpse of it even here in verse 1 when you recognize that, that plural God, that plural noun with that singular verb, how it's speaking to this one God, three persons, created, created. Singular. And so God is eternal, and he has existed eternally as a trinity. He has existed eternally as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Three persons. Second, not only is God eternal, God is independent. Or as some have said it, he is transcendent. He is above. God is separate from or distinct from creation. Separate or distinct. This is important in in kind of modern day spirituality, you know. Sometimes people want to see God in the trees. You know what I'm talking about? They see God in this. They see God in that. Those things are created. God is not in those things. He created those things. His beauty, His majesty is testified to by those things, but God is not in them. God is transcendent. He is above. He's independent of. Now, this is important as well, because we need to recognize that God being independent of creation means he does not need. Y'all know the difference between need and want, right? If you got kids in here, none of the kids know a difference between need and want. You know, they need, I need this, I need, what do you need? I need a cheeseburger. No, you don't. You need something to eat, but you don't need a cheeseburger, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, here we need to recognize that God does not need anything from creation. He does not need us. He does not need us in any way. He is complete in and of himself. There is no lack in him. There is no need in him. Now, some of you may have been taught, some of you may have been taught growing up or sometime by some sweet. Innocent Sunday school teacher or GAs or RAs or discipleship training or sunbeams, however old you are. You may have been taught sometime that as God was there and he's, he's, he's before creation and he looks out and he, he, he needs some way to express his love so he creates. You ever heard something like that? He needs some way to express all that he has so he creates the earth. Well, in that you're saying that God has something in him lacking. And if God has existed for all eternity as a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have had perfect fellowship and perfect love together for all eternity. They don't need anything. What we mean then, and what we need to understand, is that God doesn't need creation at all. He doesn't need us. He simply created us because He wants to. He made us, he created us because he wanted to. That makes it even better, I think. If he needed something, then we're trying to fulfill some need God has. And that's just, it doesn't seem like anything for us. But God created us simply because he wanted to. He made creation simply because he wanted to. He's not dependent upon it. He doesn't need it. He did it simply because he wanted to. Simply because he wanted to. And Remember, Remember, uh, whenever God reveals himself to Moses with the, the bush that's burning and never consumed, right? And so he reveals himself to Moses. And what does he say his name is? He says, I am who I am. In other words, I don't need, I'm not, he can't even compare himself to anybody else. He can't even compare himself to anything else. He just simply says, I am who I am. That also can be translated, I will be what I will be. It can be translated the same way. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. There's no need, there's no, no defining definition that the earth can give to God. God is all independent and completely independent from it. Not de- dependent, but independent. He has always existed, as I said before, as a Trinity. He's always, if you remember when Jesus prays in John 17, I preached from John 17 this last week, but he says, Father, uh, let me see that love that we had before creation. Before there was creation. He talks about that love that they had before even there was time. Now, what's incredible is God does not need us, but at the same time, he's created us because he wanted to. And therefore, we can bring him glory. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He delights in us. So before, I, before we, we go too far to try to say that God is, doesn't need us, and I take that too far, you need to understand that you're not giving God anything he needs. You're simply giving him what he deserves, glory and honor. And God, in turn, delights in us. So Zephaniah 3, you know, God rejoices over us and sings over us. He, he finds delight in us whenever we are doing what we have been created to do. Third, God is eternal, God is independent, God is all-powerful. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What we find out there in verse 3 is that he simply spoke, and the the world was created. The universe was created. God is all-powerful. He spoke, and everything that is created and made was made out of nothing. The famous way this is put is ex nihilo, out of nothing. God created out of nothing. There was nothing. God said make something and something came, right? There's no greater display of power than that. We can't imagine. We can't imagine that type of power to make something out of nothing. Now we demonstrate the imago Dei in us. We demonstrate the image of God in us whenever we create. And human beings can create incredible things, right? We can create uh, beautiful works of art. We can create beautiful songs and music. We can create magnificent buildings and structures. We can create so many different things, even down to stuff that I can't figure out, like cell phones that change time automatically for me so I'm not late to church. We can create all of these things that we see and everything that we have. We can create this. What we cannot do is create something out of nothing. And we demonstrate the the image of God in us by taking the materials God has provided to make things and, and show our own creative ability because that's how our creator is. We have this own creative ability. We demonstrate it that way. But we cannot make something out of nothing. But God did. God spoke. And the universe was created out of nothing. There's no greater power than this. This is also called God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over all that he creates. He's sovereign over all that he creates. But I want to add to this. What does this mean? There was nothing God spoke, and now we have the universe. That's what we'll see in chapter 1. We see his power. So God is the eternal creator, right? Independent, transcendent from creation, but all-powerful in making creation and speaking creation. And so if you, if you use the finger trick and flip over to Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is right after Psalm 23. Well, I mean, that's one of your favorite Psalms, I'm sure. So. And listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 24.1. He says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. In other words, the earth, the world, the people, everything belongs to who? God. Why? Because he created it. If you create something, if you make something, it's yours, right? You get the patent for it. You get the money for it. You get everything for it. When you make something, it's yours, and you get to design it. Me and my brother used to grow up, and and we would always get tired. You know, you're playing. I just had one brother, so we're playing one-on-one. We would make up games all the time. You know what I'm saying? And what was the constant battle? What the rules were. Why? Because he thinks he made it up. He gets to make the rules. I think I made it up. I get to make the rules. Before long, the game just turned into a wrestling match. Because you can't determine who makes the rules. Who made the game? Because whoever makes the game gets to make the rules, right? And so that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. So you don't get to make the rules about how this place operates, how this world is run. You don't get to make those rules. God created this. In fact, he speaks to God's power there when he says he founded it upon the seas and the rivers. You can't build a house upon water. But God has built the universe and the foundations of it and shown his power and how he's done that by even building it upon the waters of the sea. And so God, all powerful, has created it all. One of my favorite passages, favorite passages is Job 38. Y'all know the book of Job. Satan comes up. He wants... He wants a piece of Job, and he says, I'm going to make Job denounce you. And, and the Lord says, you can try. So he tries one thing. That doesn't work. He does a little bit more. That doesn't work. Even goes even fur- farther, further, and that doesn't work. Takes his family, takes everything from him, loses it all. He's got three friends that just keep just hounding him and telling him, just go ahead and curse God and die. Who cares? You know, he's doing this over and over again. And finally, Job, after persevering and being patient, finally he's kind of had enough. You know, and you think there's some sympathy there. And so Job finally in chapter 38 just says, Lord, you've got to tell me. You've got to give me an answer as to what's going on and what's happening. And I love God's response in Job 38. I I used to always say, but I don't know if this translates well, but it's like like God just kind of punks Job back down a little bit. Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Well, that's Psalm. That's a different book. Can we take that out the tape back there, Jeremy? <clears throat> tape. That shows my age, too. We're talking about tape. VHS. We're cutting that out of VHS. Um, Job 38. Here he goes. So Job finally questions God, and he's saying, you've got to give me an answer, and, and, and then Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, right? So he's going to speak. Who is this? In other words... Who do you think you are, Job? You coming to me to ask me questions, the Lord says? Who is this uh, that darkens the council by words without knowledge? You don't even know what you're talking about, Job. If you're going to come to me, he tells him, dress for action, dress like a man. If you're going to come to me, Job, man up. Let's talk about it. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding, who determined its measurement? Surely you know, Job. You know how this went down. You know how it was all determined. You were there when I created everything and made everything, weren't you, Job? Tell me about it. He keeps asking these incredible questions. Do you know where I keep the snow, Job? You know? Are you the one that tells the sun to come up? And the same time tells the sun to go down? Are you the one, Job, that sends lightning through the sky and tells it exactly where to strike? I mean, he just over and over again just talks about what? He talks about the things that happen in creation. And the presumptive word here is the Lord says, That's me. Every single day, I tell the earth to spin. Every single day I tell the sun to come up and for it to set. At exactly the time the sun sets is exactly when I tell it to set, the Lord says. When lightning bolts fly through the sky, I'm the one that tell them where to land, Job. I'm the one that leads the mountain goat through the mountains. Do you know where the mountain goat gives birth? I guarantee you none of y'all in here can take me to a place where a mountain goat gives birth. The Lord can. You know where I keep the snow, Job? Do you know where my storehouse is for all the hail? Do you know where that's at? And the Lord just constantly lets Job know, you don't get to come to me no matter what happens. And think about this with Job. Think about this for your own life. No matter what happens here for Job, the Lord lets him know, you don't get to come to me and ask the questions. I'm the creator of everything. I made it all. I made it all, Job. What you need to do, what the Lord finally says, is you need to what? Trust me. Trust me. You don't get to ask me those kind of questions. Just simply trust me. The Lord is powerful. He spoke everything out of nothing. He made it all. He established it all. And therefore, he gets to set the rules. All of creation must answer to him. And that goes back to this first verse in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything. Therefore, this is his creation, and everyone must answer to him. Which brings us into, what does that mean for us? What does it teach us about ourselves then? If this first verse teaches us that God is eternal, it teaches us that that he's independent and transcendent, that he doesn't need creation, but he's made it out of his own will to bring it about, if it tells us that he's all-powerful, creating it out of nothing and, and, and establishing it as his creation, what does it tell us about us? Let's teach us about ourselves. First, we are under God's authority. We are under God's authority. If God has created everything, and God gets to make the rules, guess what? We have to play by those rules. He's the authority we have to answer to. He's not only the creator, the maker, he's the judge, right? In the end. Why is he the judge? Because he is the creator. He's the one who made this place. He's the one who made this earth. So when he establishes, here's how you are to live, in light of the fact that God has created everything, he's the one who's established it. Now you are under his authority, what God says matters then. If God has said it, then that's what we are to do. We are to obey it. What God teaches about marriage, whether we like it or not, whether it's comfortable or not, that's what the rules are, right? Whatever God says in the Ten Commandments, we may not like how those infringe upon our own autonomy and rights, but our own autonomy and rights do not supersede the Creator's autonomy and rights. He's the one who made it. We have to answer to Him. And when we don't answer to Him, what are we in? We're in rebellion. Rebellion to our very Creator. Rebellion to the one who made us. That's what sin is. We don't like having authority over us. Our tendency is to buck it, our tendency is to run from it. And that's why humanity has constantly turned in rebellion toward God over and over and over and over again because we're under God's authority. He gets to make the rules. He gets to make the rules. This is, goes back, by the way, to why we see so many different theories about creation. If we can take God out of the equation then that frees us from having to obey an authority over us, right? If we can take God out of the equation, that frees us from having to do what this book tells us to do. If we can remove God from the beginning, then it frees us from being under God's authority throughout our life. So let's come up with a different alternative. Let's come up with a different way creation happened. Let's come up with a different way this went about. And so what humanity has done is they've searched and they've searched and they've searched for a different way, some other thing, and they come up with some theory, and they just simply say, that's it. It has to be that. We know in the beginning there was no God. It has to be this. The only problem is when you take God out of the equation and you remove Genesis 1-1 from your understanding of life, the only problem is something's got to fill that spot, and there is nothing on creation, there's nothing anywhere that can fill up and carry the burden of Genesis 1-1 other than the God and creator of the universe. There's nothing that can tote that. There's nothing we can come up with. We want to come up with a huge explosion out somewhere in the middle of somewhere, right? That can't bear the burden of Genesis 1-1. Whatever big bang you want to do. And you can say God created everything and he used the big bang to do it. Well, what does the big bang matter then? God made it all, right? And if God made it all, then we have to answer to him. We must answer to him. Now, I know sometimes this is where we as Christians... Again, we cannot be fearful of looking backwards to society. The world's going to look at us and go, you bunch of, you know, Neanderthals, nutcases, you're probably all from Red Bank, South Carolina or somewhere like that. (laughs) And the reason they say that is because we believe Genesis 1-1. Everything else falls in line, Right? You've got to come to grips with if you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you've got to understand that the rest of Scripture, God gets to determine how we live in these heavens and on this earth. And you have to follow it, or you're going to be subject to judgment. You are under his authority. But not only that, if that's the case, you're under his authority, you are also realizing that God is the ultimate reality. This verse sets what's real. Oftentimes, people look at Christianity and they especially talk about Jesus, and you hear this a lot, and they say, Oh, that's just a crutch for you to get through life. You know what I'm saying? You use Christianity as just some way to make you feel better about life, some crutch to get through life. And say they they claim you may make up some alternate reality in order to feel better about yourself like there's a Savior and all these other kind of things. What's true, though, when you understand Genesis 1-1, what's true is this, that there is a God that made everything and he's in charge. And anything you try to do to get around that is you creating an alternative reality to what's true. You're creating a crutch. And that crutch for you is to help you get out from under his authority, to help you realize you don't have to obey those kind of old rules that are in this book. You can can progress and grow. You can do those things. You're, you're, You're trying to make yourself feel better about yourself and your own sinfulness. And you do that. You do that. Whenever you create an alternative reality, and that alternative reality is whenever you take God off his throne as the creator of the universe. This is real. And if God is the creator of all things, maker of heavens and earth, earth, then he's real. And everything has to be judged according to him. Everything has to be understood according to him. We have to put our life into context according to who he is. We have to put our family in context according to who he is. We have to put our judgments, our our finances, our our resources, everything we have in context according to who God is. Because when you realize God's the creator of the heavens and earth and from whom all blessings flow, right, then everything you have really does not belong to you. It belongs to him. And so you use that, you have to use that according in this, this is what's real. And so what's real for us is that God is on his throne. Now what does that mean for me and how I live? That's what reality is. And anything that takes him off the throne, anything that tries to to demote him from being the creator is an alternative reality that just simply tries to appease someone's conscience so they feel better about their sin, about their disobedience about their unbelief. God is what is real. If you look, if you look to Hebrews, Hebrews 11, which is the the hall of faith, as some have termed it, where the author of Hebrews just simply repeats by faith, by faith, by faith, and goes through the stories of the Old Testament. If you look to verse one, you see the definition of faith, Hebrews 11:1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Verse 3, by faith, y'all get this now. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Genesis 1 1 is believed by what? Faith. Creation is believed by faith. And I want you to know there is no science, no matter what anybody tells you, there's no science that can prove anything other than the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. They got their theories. So whatever you believe about creation is what? By faith. If you believe that it was made by a big bang, it's by faith. If you believe that it, it just kind of happened into some sort of organisms that popped into something. By the way, how, how ridiculous is that for us to believe in some sense? I don't want to get off on this too much. But if that's the case, then everything that's created is just happenstance or chance, right? And so what gives us as human beings more dignity than a rock? The the lightning struck us a little bit different way than it did somebody else or something else or any other thing. We're all the same matter that just happily happens to form into this thing or that thing or the other thing. But we recognize in the story of creation that the Bible gets us that we as human beings are the pinnacle of creation because we're the ones created in the image of God, fashioned by his own hands and breathed. Our very breath is coming from him himself as he breathed into us. That's what gives us our dignity. That's why we fight for life. That's why we fight for truth, right? So whatever you believe about creation, it's going to be by faith. Whether it is God who is on the throne who made it all out of nothing or some other scientific theory that they can throw out there. Whatever it is, you're going to be by faith. And so if you think about it that way, you just want to simply say, well, it's all a gamble then, right? If it's a gamble, then I'm going to go ahead and choose the Lord because if I'm wrong on that end, i got some trouble. But here's the other thing. I don't think it's that big of a gamble. I think all of creation points to the fact that a creator, a designer, an intelligent, beautiful, glorious designer made every stitch of it. And you and I are testimony to that. I don't believe it's that big. I don't think it's that hard. I think everything in creation points to the majesty and power and glory of the Lord God Almighty who made it all. And as we think of it that way and we look to it, we look at Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth should cause us to say, well, he's the one then who has authority, and that's where reality is. So let's read this and find out what our creator tells us. Let's read this and look to it to see how he has designed us, which brings me to my third point about what does it teach us about ourselves? It teaches us that we are under God's authority, that God is the ultimate reality, and that this truth, Genesis 1-1, gives us our very purpose. Gives us our very purpose. Whenever we have have kids and we had a whole mess of them, and we would teach them the, the children's catechism, and it's real simple. First couple, first couple questions. Who made you? God made me. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. How do you glorify God? By loving him and obeying him. That's the very truth that we find wrapped up in this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made us because he was wanted to. And now what gives us our purpose? That we give back what God rightfully deserves. We bring him glory. That's the very purpose of all of creation. All of creation is to glorify the Lord, right? We see its majesty, we see its beauty, and it brings him glory. It testifies to the creator. This is why it is absolute nonsense in scripture. It's crazy nonsense that anybody would bow down and worship anything that was created. And just think of that. Why would you bow down and worship anything that was created? That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 1. We've traded what is true worship for that which is created. We are the creatures. God is the creator. Why would we worship any other creature, any other piece of creation? That doesn't make any sense. There's only one that is worthy of our worship. That's the creator himself. Why would we make something, fashion something out of our own hands, and then bow down and worship it? Why would we look to something here from from money to work to anything else that we have fashioned and we have made and worshiped that, put it in place of God? It makes no sense for he is the creator and we are designed to bring him glory, to bring him glory. That's our very purpose. And how do we bring him glory? By loving him. And how do we love him? By obeying him. First John tells us, you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, then you are a liar. John didn't make, he he, he, he made that pretty clear. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, you are a liar. We love God by obeying him. And then what's the next thing John says, if you remember, and his commandments are not a burden, but a joy. The commandments of God that he's given us are not a burden to us. They're our joy. And why are they our joy? Because by keeping those commandments and obeying him, our very purpose in life, our creator, by keeping those commandments and obeying him, then we are fulfilling the very thing we are created for. And there is nothing more satisfying for any of us than fulfilling the very thing we were created for. Why do I know that? Because in heaven, what will we be doing? Nothing less than bringing glory and honor to God's name forever. That's what satisfies us. That's what brings us joy. And the reason why God's commandments are not a burden is because we want to please him, our creator. We want to glorify him. We want to honor him. So it's not a hard for me or a burden for me to keep his commandments, though I fail many times. It's still a joy when I do. Why? Because I want to please the one who made me, created me, and fashioned me in his own image. I want to bring glory to his name as well as created for. That's what brings me pure joy, true joy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, the very purpose for all of creation is to honor Him. He's the creator. He's the creator. Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1 becomes the testimony for us as we move through Scripture. That verse lays the foundation for all the rest of God's Word. That verse lays the foundation for... For all of it. That God who is eternal and the God who is independent and transcendent of all of creation has spoken and creation came about. Creation came about. And in that now, He has created us and made us so that we will live under His authority. We will understand everything in that reality. And we will seek after the purpose by which he made us, to bring him glory and honor. That's why it matters that we fight for the truth of God's word. That's why it matters that we follow it. No matter what society may say, this is the truth if we believe it. And by faith, you're trusting in something by creation. So as to be a consistent believer in Jesus... Then we must live our life under the authority of Christ. We must live our life according to His Word. We must worship the Creator, not anything in creation. Not anything in creation. As we continue through this, we're going to see how God has spoken and brought so much about. God's Word here is going to give us testimony. Whenever Moses was writing this, and let me remind you, Moses wrote it. How do we know this, by the way? Uh, many people have, many people have uh, discussed the authorship of the first five books of the Bible. In fact, over the last 150, 160 years, there's been some major thought to it. And, and, and one of the ways that they've tried to discuss this to help remove maybe some of the truth of God's Word is called the documentary hypothesis theory. That's good for you guys. Big words get you A's if you're in class or school. This is the idea that it was some editor who came in later and edited all this together. And so you may have seen this. Some of it refer to the JEPD understanding, right? So this one editor comes in and there's times where they use the name Jehovah J for God. And then there's times that they use the name Elohim for God. And then there's times where the priests wrote about um, what's going on in the temple. That's the priest time. And then there's Deuteronomy, which is kind of different from all of it. That's the D. So it's just really an editor. Moses didn't really write these five books. And when you do that, you can kind of alleviate some of its claims and undermine what it's saying, right? And maybe some of it's supernaturalism or some of those things that we just don't like as modern people who knows that miracles don't really happen, correct? That's not true. I'm just saying that. That's what they say. But here's the problem with that. The problem with that is Jesus. And in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, Jesus is talking about the witnesses to him, himself. And he's talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees claim that they follow Moses. They claim they follow Moses. Moses. And so, we don't follow you, Jesus. We follow Moses, right? Talking about the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus comes at them with this scathing rebuke. How can you believe, verse 44, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? It's an incredible question. Do do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you Moses, on whom you set your hope. In other words, Jesus says at the day of judgment, I'm not even going to have to stand up and bring charges against you. You keep saying you follow Moses, Moses is going to get up, and Moses is going to say, these are not my people. They're not following me. Jesus says, I don't even have to bring accusation against you because you're not following Moses. But then listen to what Jesus says. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Y'all get that? So if anybody claims that anybody else wrote the first five books of the Bible, then they're saying what? Either Jesus doesn't know. I got a hard time with that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Jesus knew. Either he doesn't know, or he just misspoke. Or maybe lied. I got a really hard time with that. I don't think any of those are true. You know what the third one is? Moses wrote it. And so anybody that wants to claim that Moses didn't write these first five books, their problem is with Jesus. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, right? And so in in, in Luke 24, he says the same thing. Moses wrote about me. Look to the law of Moses. He was writing about me. Moses is the author here. And why do I bring that up after going through all of that? is because when is Moses writing this? He's writing this after the Israelites have been redeemed out of the bondage of slavery of Egypt. He's writing this after they have come through and they've gone to Sinai. And remember what he says in Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. The Lord your God, I'm the Lord your God who has redeemed you out of Israel. I mean, out of Egypt. I'm redeemed you out of Egypt. Now, do not have any other gods before me. Do not use my name in vain, right? Don't make any carved images. God's redemption had already taken place. He's already redeemed them, and now he's given them the law. And Moses goes to Sinai, and he goes up on the mountain. It says he meets God face to face. He comes down with the ten, and then Moses marches through for 40 years because of some disobedience. We'll get there a couple years. But because of some disobedience... He marches through, and while he's in the wilderness, he's writing down the first five books of the Bible as he's inspired by God and hearing them from God, right? And why is he doing this? Because he's giving the Israelites, who've just been redeemed by the God of the the burning bush that Moses comes to them, and he's telling them, here's the God you serve. I want you to know. As you go into this land that is promised to you, here's the God you serve. The God that you serve has created it all. That's the very reason why Moses calls them to obedience. I'm not telling you. You're not just serving some little God of Egypt. In fact, in fact, the God of the universe crushed the gods of Egypt, didn't he? You want to worship the now? I'll turn that thing to blood. You want to worship your, your, your cattle, your livestock? I'll kill every one of them right now. You worship the sun, it's going to turn to darkness, and you're not even going to be able to see a hand in front of your face, he says. Over and over again, those ten plagues are not just God coming up with some cool little things to show the Egyptians. That's God demonstrating his power over the false gods of Egypt. As the creator of the universe. Just smashing them one after one and showing them, I am the God of all creation. And Moses is writing this as they're walking into the promised land, and he wants the people to know. He wants the Israelites to know. You're not just serving some weak God, some localized God, some God we've conjured up. You're serving the God who's made it all and created it all. Now be obedient to him. No, you can't be defeated. No, this land is yours because that God, the God who made everything, has promised it to you. Know that you can trust him because he made you and he created you and he fashioned you in his own image. Know that he's kept every promise over and over and over again. Let me tell you about your great, 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 great granddaddy on down the line, Abraham. Let me tell you about what Joseph did. Let me tell you about how God has worked all of this out so some. 400 years later, now you are the ones fulfilling the very promises of God as we enter into this land. Moses is writing this for those people. And it has been kept. Kept for us because the story of this creator, God, did not end there at the promised land, right? It ends at an even greater promised land. It ends at an even greater place greater than that little bit of land over in the Middle East. This land that is truly flowing with milk and honey is there on the other side. This land is the land that truly is God's people's land. This land is the land that will never perish, that the sun never sets. This land is the land where you don't even need a sun because Jesus is the light. That's the land we're talking about. Y'all ever heard of heaven, right? That's the land. And so now as we have this, As we have this, our resolve should be even greater than the Israelites marching into the promised land. As we have this, our resolve should be even stronger, right? Should be even stronger than the Israelites moving toward Jericho and trying to knock down those walls. Our resolve should be even greater because now we have seen that God has not only kept his promise for a short period of time, God has kept his promise for all of eternity. And the deliverer we follow is greater than Moses. The deliverer we follow is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so as we look to this word and we see that the God we serve is the God of the universe, the creator of everything, we should have even more resolve as his people now in light of the promises kept for us to live, to serve, right? to walk with him daily, to do what he says, because victory is ours in the end. That's exactly why Moses wrote this for the Israelites. That's exactly why I believe it's been preserved for us today, that we as God's people would have resolved to live for him every day, for he is the creator. And there's none like him. There's none like him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word help us god as we seek to live for you help us father to recognize and never forget there is none like you that you are the creator of all things creator of heaven and earth that god you are the one who stands above it all that orchestrates it all is in charge of it all so father help us not to respond in rebellion but to respond in obedience Help us to see our very purpose. The reason why you made us was to bring new glory and honor, and there's no greater joy or satisfaction in our life than that. Give us a resolve every day to live under your authority, knowing that's where our joy is found. Father, help us not to be liars. But when we say we love you, help us to follow your word and your commandments. To demonstrate that love every day for you are our creator you are our reality and father it's you that we seek to serve and honor all of this we pray in jesus name amen thank y'all so much for being here tonight remember remember sunday we're all old enough to handle it right yeah good we'll see y'all sunday morning